Greetings and salutations. It's your host, Lester Cahill. Welcome to the latest episode of the Black History Fashion Show. This week, I'm going to answer a question I've been getting asked quite a bit by my white friends. So all you black listeners, you can take this week off. No, just kidding. So we'll tackle a question I've been getting, and the question is this. What can I do? Well, what can you do? (laughs) So we'll talk about that. I'll give you uh, my thoughts on what you can do, and we all know what we're talking about here. What can I do about the racial injustice, the racial inequality, the racial divide, whatever you want to call it, that we're seeing once again picked open uh, in our society. I mean, that's where we started, right? We started with George Floyd and police abuse or police abusing their power. I don't know where we are now, but that is what the question is is in relation to, and that is what we are going to answer today or attempt to get to answer today. We'll also do a little bit of black history since mobs are in the street and black people have a little history with mobs in this country. Uh, We'll visit one particularly terrible moment in black history, a mob in Statesboro, Georgia. Tell you a little bit about why I haven't done an episode in a couple of weeks and uh, we'll get around to answering that very poignant question. What? can I do? So that's what's coming up today on the Black History Fashion Show. Alright, let's get started with this week's episode and we'll start, like I said, with some black history. We'll go back to 1904, August of 1904, and we'll go to Statesboro, Georgia. Two black men, Will Cato and Paul Reed, were accused of murdering a farm family. A farmer, his wife, and three children. So, they're accused, you know, they're arrested, they're accused. They're sent to Savannah, Georgia. I don't know how far Savannah is from Statesville. I've made that drive, I think it's maybe an hour, but they're, they're sent away from Statesboro to Savannah, for a couple of weeks so people could cool off. But even during that time, uh, tensions were, at, were just getting higher. Uh, two black women were pulled out of a church and whipped on the sidewalk because they had been accused of forcing two other white women. They, they were accused of crowding two white women off the sidewalk. So um, some folks went in, grabbed these two white ladies, <laughs> grabbed these two black ladies out of church whipped them right on the sidewalk. So uh, that's just one incident of many that were occurring in this alleged cooling off period of two weeks. Well, the mob, the, the, the trial happens. Will Cato and Paul Reed are found guilty. They're sentenced to a hanging. But really that wasn't enough for the mob. The mob went into the prison, overpowered 
the guards. And by this time, there had been enough rumors going around that there was going to be mob action that the governor had actually put the uh, Georgia militia in the jail, but their rifles weren't loaded. <laughs> um, the mob goes in, they, they grab Cato and Reed, drag him out of the jail, uh, put nooses around their neck, real nooses, not NASCAR nooses, but real nooses, put nooses around their necks, and they drag them down North Main Street, and eventually out to a clearing two miles outside of town. They were tied with ropes and chains to a tree stump. Each man was doused in 10 gallons of oil and burned alive in front of a cheering crowd. Law enforcement agencies never made an attempt to punish either the mob or the mob leaders. So that's where mobs get you. First it's the statues, then it's real people. These folks didn't even start with statues. They went right after Reed and Cato. I don't know if they did it or not. Let's say that they did. That wasn't justice. You don't get justice from a mob. So I'm a little more somber today than normal and I can, uh, I've gone a couple of weeks without recording and I can tell you why. I, I really didn't want to take to this podcast and talk too much over the last few weeks. I'm like you probably. I'm, I'm, I, I can't believe my eyes. I can't believe what I'm watching on television. I can't believe what I'm seeing on the internet or what's happening in this country. Uh, I guess if I had to boil it down to the to the top three terrible things that have kept me off the air where I really shouldn't have been talking. <laughs> I don't want to talk to from too much emotion, um, especially the negative emotions I've been feeling. But I would say it's the mobs in the street. It's And it's more than the mobs. It's more than their uh, stupidity. It's more than their violence. Uh... It's more than their arrogance. It's the fact that here we are, here come the mobs, and there's no one left to protect us. There's no one in authority who will step forward and protect the American people. In fact, many of our leaders are on the side of the mob, or at least afraid of the mob and hoping that if they appease the mob, the mob won't come for them which is just incredibly, incredibly dumb, incredibly, incredibly stupid and unfounded and ill thought out. So that's been one. The seams of the mob pulling down statues. Some of the statues they pulled down have been of Confederates. So what? I'm not someone who's in favor of honoring Confederate generals or Confederate heroes. One, I think when you take up arms against the United States, you forfeit a lot of your glory. But, having said that, the statues are there. I'm all in favor of the statues being in museums. I am. It's history. It's who we are, good or bad. It's what happened in the country. 
even being opposed to the statues, it never crossed my mind to deface them or pull them down. And you know, or any of us with sense, any of us who are adults and over the age of eight with a brain know or knew that after the statues, they, they're not going to stop with Confederate, uh, let's say, villains, let's say. Uh, they're going to move on. If, you, if you're going to condemn Robert E. Lee, then you're absolutely going to condemn Thomas Jefferson. And you're absolutely going to condemn George Washington. And you're going to condemn anyone affiliated with the American founding. And if you're going to condemn anyone affiliated with the American founding, then you're going to condemn anyone or any institution or any products of the American founding, namely the American people, namely the American regime. And to, you know, all these years to look at our leaders and to think about how cowardly they were or are, uh, how duplicitous, how venal and vain and empty they are but to see it laid bare like this was just i don't want to say it was shocking but it was disappointing it was depressing and it was angering uh abolish the police that's the other thing that has really gotten to me i live in minneapolis now and i'll say this And I'll get canceled for this. But what really are you going to cancel? <laughs> me and this little podcast? Come on and cancel me. Um, I came up here in 2019 and interviewed for a position with my company. Didn't know anything about Minneapolis. Interview. Thought I did really well in the interview. Thought I did well enough to like, I'm getting this job. So I leave the building, I have some time before my flight back home to Texas, and I'm walking around, and I see a police officer sitting in a car. I went and asked him, I said, okay, give me a breakdown, good areas, bad areas, and we talked. We talked for a good 10 minutes. I told him my whole story about, you know, hey, I think I'm going to get a job here. And uh, fantastic interaction, right? Wished me luck. Told me he knew I was going to get it. Look forward to seeing me back in his town had to be top two or three interaction I've ever had with a police officer in my life. If not number one. So I've been living here for a year. I live across the street from the projects. So I watch the police on a regular basis interact with people, poor black people in the projects. And I've watched from my window, I've watched them be provoked I've watched people run at them. I've watched people using big arm actions, pulling pulling their hands out of their pocket. And I've watched the Minneapolis police use incredible restraint in each and every circumstance. And there have been many, many. So, yes, I knew about Philando Castile. I knew about the Australian woman who was killed by that officer, uh, Noor, I think his name was. I knew about those things. I didn't know about the deep-seated animosity between the black community and the Minneapolis police here, so I was blind to that. But I know what I had seen with my own two eyes. And I know even a couple of months ago during the pandemic, uh, I was out for a walk with my wife downtown and I saw a Minneapolis police officer get out of his car and take water and food to a vagrant on the corner. So I've seen that. 
So I understand about George Floyd. I've told my story. I'm not going to tell it again. Um, I've had many, many run-ins with the police that were unjust. I know that feeling intimately. I don't know the feeling of being killed, but I know the feeling of being roughed up and humiliated. For these people here to talk about, seriously talk about, they're not playing around, y'all. I don't know what you're hearing in your localities, in your news. These people are dead serious. They are taking action, concrete action. They are going to put things on the ballot. They are going to get it voted on. They are going to get it passed. They have set themselves deadlines. They have set themselves clear steps of action. They are not just talking. They are going to get rid of the police in this town. This is an incredible thing to me, even as crime is rising in this city, that we have people, insane and silly people, in authority, talking about abolishing the police. My daughters are here with me this summer. They're grown. I don't let them go outside alone. <laughs> I, my, my daughters have great common sense, know how to handle themselves, know how to carry themselves, and I don't let them go a block outside of this building alone because the city is turned. And now we have complete lunatics talking about abolishing, not talking about taking steps to abolish the police. I feel like I am living in an insane asylum. I'm the only sane man in this building. And then there's another group out there that's been bothering me. <laughs> Increasingly bothering me. I think you know who they are. They've even come out with a movie for themselves called Uncle Tom. Now if you think that I'm going to go watch a movie called Uncle Tom and then assume that mantle for myself... You have not been listening to any of these podcasts. You've never met me. You've never spoken to me. And you are prone to believe incredibly, incredible things. So, you know, the Candace Owens, the Brandon Tatum. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like the guy, but I have to throw him in there too. Larry Elder. The, the, this crowd. These people are not black leaders. I'm sorry. Some of you love listening to them. Because they give you license to hold on to some of your beliefs. But I'm just telling you, just because it's a black face repeating bad statistics about black people instead of a white face, doesn't make them black leaders. It doesn't make what they're saying, which is out of context, much of it, doesn't make it matter to us. It doesn't make it true. Doesn't excuse bad policing. Doesn't excuse poor municipalities in terms of poor in terms of how they serve their people it doesn't excuse any of that and how are you a black leader but you don't have any followers how are you a leader of any type without followers so I've talked about those folks enough I really since uh, this podcast is a message to the whites I guess since you've asked me a question and I'm going to answer it and hopefully you're listening. Some of you really hold on to those folks. You need to let them go. They're hustlers. Just like you get, you know, the hair on the back of your ne neck stands up when you see Al Sharpton getting off of a private jet and going to stir up trouble. Or Jesse Jackson, if he's still around, mumbling and it really makes you upset. 
well, you need to put Candace, Larry, uh, Jesse Lee, Brandon Tatum, and whomever else is in that crowd. You need to put them in the same boat. Other side of the coin. They're, they have the same motivations. And they're not leaders. Alright, so... After that somber start, you're probably thinking, what in the world is playing in my headphones? This is not the Black History Fashion Show. <laughs> no, it's the Black History Fashion Show, y'all. So I'm going to come back. I'm going to answer this question because you've asked me and I'm going to answer it. I've, I've been on my Twitter feed. I said, hey, give me show ideas. What do you want to talk about? Now, you haven't hit me up on Twitter, but people have hit me up personally. And people have asked the question, well, what do I do? So it's my microphone. It's my show, baby. So I'm going to answer your question right after the break. All right, so we're going to answer the question. We're finally going to get around to it. What can you do? And most of the questions, uh, most of the people answering, asking me that question have been well-intentioned people, uh, typically Christian and they're concerned. And some of this stuff is a surprise to them what's going on. They thought, hey, aren't we past all of this? Why are black people in the streets angry again? What, what's going on? Am I part of it? What can I do? All right, well, I'm going to give you some things you can do, a couple things. And I'm going to give you a couple things you absolutely should not do. Okay? <laughs> so uh, let's talk about what you can do. One, we'll start here. So I have been more open recently because I've I felt it's important uh, and I felt like it's timely and it's about time. And I've been talking about some of my encounters growing up with the police. And you can go back to a couple of episodes. I did a show with two of my friends. We talked about some of the encounters I've had with the police there and their encounters with the police. And even at work, all of a sudden I'm called upon at work to talk about you know, my experiences in, in, in a setting where I normally wouldn't say anything, I went ahead and talked about it. I told people, uh, like, hey, this is what's happened to me. This is what has happened to me from the time I was 16 to the, in my 40s. Had bad experiences with the police. Unfair experiences with the police. Life-threatening experiences with the police. I have no record. I'm not a criminal. I'm an upstanding citizen, white-collar guy. And people are shocked. Well, I should say white folks, white people are shocked when I tell them the stories. Absolutely shocked. Lester, I, I never thought that something like that would have happened to you. That's what I typically get. Well, there's a class element in your shock because I'm in your circle Middle class, maybe maybe upper middle class, depending on how my bills fall out. Um, you know, went to college, white collar, management, upper management. I'm in your class, so obviously it didn't happen to me. Well, nope. Doesn't just happen to blacks in the ghetto. Does not. And maybe that's a shock to you. Well, you haven't been paying attention. You haven't been listening to what people have been telling you. Uh, and there's a racial blindness part of it too. 
And it's because uh, it's difficult for you to imagine, I think, that black people have real reasons to mistrust American institutions and American conventions because you don't. Someone did, I, I was reading, a, oh man, I don't know, maybe it was on Twitter and it took me to some essay where a guy said, look, if if uh, if you just divide out police interactions over the uh, over the uh, population, the adult population, all of us should have one encounter with the police. I think he said every five years or every seven years. I think it was every seven years you should have an encounter with the police. Well, and he noted that, you know, he was in his late 30s and he was well below that number. Well, I'm in my early 50s. I'm well above that number. I don't care if it's five, every five years or every seven years. I'm For that number to work out for me, I would have to be somewhere between, I don't know, 70 and 128 years old, somewhere around there. So... We mistrust the police. We mistrust a lot of American institutions and conventions and authority figures. And we have real reason to feel that way. And we have voiced those real reasons. And because you don't necessarily connect with the person saying it, maybe because it's their characteristics or how they're dressed or how they're saying it, you kind of brush it off. And because people like me, in my circle, we're not going to talk about it. Absolutely not going to talk about it. Many reasons for that. Um, you know, we don't want to be seen as rabble rousers. We really are trying to protect our positions, whatever they may be. And so we don't talk about it and you don't hear it. And... Sometimes you sweep it aside and you say, you know, you compare it to your own dissatisfactions with uh, late modern American society, right? Sure, you don't like the DMV. And sure, your business would never rely on the Postal Service over FedEx or UPS for package delivery. But here's the difference. You don't suspect that the DMV is out to get you. You don't suspect... <laughs> that the Postal Service is facilitating the drug trade in your neighborhood. So, see, we ha we've had that, and we've been right. Black people were saying in the 80s, something's going on with the drug trade in our neighborhood. And black people were saying, like, CIA is bringing drugs into the, into the black communities. And it sounded so ridiculous that it just got laughed off. Well, lo and behold, what do we find out many years later? Not that there were CIA agents on the streets dealing dope, but we find that we were making deals with drug cartels to facilitate drugs hitting the inner cities. And by facilitate, I don't mean that they were, you know, driving the trucks or driving the cars, bringing it in, but we certainly were looking the other way and we knew where it was going. That was the American government. I know a woman who had female members of her family sterilized by the state of Alabama. She's alive today. It wasn't 150 years ago. 
That was happening in the 70s. These are our experiences with uh, American institutions. Our mistrust and suspicion is, is not the product of insane paranoia. It has a basis in reality. A, a reality you are not in touch with. And they're not the inventions of race hustlers. I'm your host. I'm your boy, Lester Cahill. You listen to my podcast. And I'm telling you, the police have had my face in the dirt. And I hadn't done anything wrong. Other than just be in the wrong car at the wrong time. And it's happened multiple, multiple, multiple times. So here's number one thing you can do. Ask. Don't tell. Ask me. Don't tell me. Ask me, then listen. One of the top traits in great salesmen is the ability to shut up and listen. A great salesman will ask Good questions, open-ended questions, and then they'll listen to your answers before they ever go in for the close. So how does that apply to you? What are you trying to sell me? You're saying, I'm not trying to sell you anything, Lester. Well, you want me to be part of this society, right? You want us to really be together. And I don't mean you and I personally, but you want to know what you can do. You want to know where you can throw your arm around your black brother or black sister and say, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, we're going to do something about this. Yeah, that's not right. Yeah, let's have you considered this maybe and let's try this. Well, if you want that kind of opening, then shut up. Stop telling me (laughs) that I'm imagining it or it's a one-off or it didn't, you know, maybe I misinterpreted it or you don't really believe that, do you? Ask. Don't tell. Ask. It never would occur to you to ask me had I ever had a bad encounter with the police. That's why I started telling people. Because in all of these cases, you look, and here's Candace Owens, in all of these cases, you look, and very quickly, the police unions get out a story about whomever was shot or whatever. Oh, that guy had a record. Oh, he had a pass. Eh, Well, I don't, you know, the officer was afraid. Oh, that is a bad neighborhood. And you, you, you kind of dismiss what, what people are talking about. So, I felt like I needed to talk. Lots of us are feeling like we need to tell you. No, I don't have a criminal record. No, I'm not a bad guy. And yes, these things have happened to me. Not to the point of death, but that's only the grace of God. Because a couple of them could have led to my death. And you never would have heard about it. And if you did, well, yeah, I think that guy was high. Or he did something to provoke that police officer. Yep, move on. Ask. Ask your friend. Ask your black friend. Ask your black acquaintance. Ask your black black coworker. What's it like? And then shut up and listen. Don't try to convince them that they what their experience is is wrong or misinterpreted. Or that you even have experienced it yourself. Wow, back in 8th grade, Becky Marshall, she got all the girls against me. No, stop it. Shut up. Ask, listen. That's the first thing you can do. A lot of people are saying that, 
But I'm telling you, ask, listen, ask, and listen. You got some black folks who wandered in your church and they're and they're there in your majority white church. You can ask them questions. Just ask. I'm, I don't mean just walk up to them awkwardly and just start interrogating them about their past. But in some way, when you're in front of them, you should ask them about their experience. You should ask them about their experience even in your church. Ask and then shut up and listen. Somebody was uh, stunned by that. So that level of surprise that you have had talking to me or talking to one of your black friends, that level of surprise, take it and use it as an index of what we know about you, but you don't know about us. This is a little explored fault line of racial relations. And black people, I tell you, we do wonder, how is it possible that you don't know anything about us when we live here with you. We've been here the whole time. <laughs> the reason you can talk about 1619 is because we were here. We are here when y'all got here. We came with you. We are foundational to this country, but we might as well be the latest immigrant from, from some place with no vowels in their language. This is aggravating. It also leads to you getting scammed. You get scammed on the street on the street by people we know are hustlers telling you a story. Right? You can't see through it. You get scammed politically by people in groups we know are hustling you. Example, y'all are about to lionize Colin Kaepernick. And we're looking at this dude as a washed-up backup quarterback who probably really isn't black. Yeah, we do talk about that stuff. Y'all looking at him and go, oh, he's got an afro. He says he's black. He must be black. Well, a whole lot of people can grow afros. So we look at his features and we look at who he runs with and who he's hooked up with. And we and I'm just telling you. We talk about it. Jason Whitlock talked about it on his TV show out loud a few times, which was stunning to me, but he wasn't saying anything but what black people were saying in, in private, which is like, we look at that dude and go, is he black? <laughs> but you guys, since you don't know anything about us, again, you don't listen. You're looking at this dude like, well, maybe he was right, and maybe we should give him a place back in the league, and maybe we should recognize him as a black leader. This dude's going to get statues built to him, right? And most black people don't even think that guy's black. He got some black support because, again, you don't listen. And so he became a totem. He became the stick that some blacks could poke in your eye. You didn't want to hear about police brutality? Well, here's this dude using his little bitty platform. Okay, well, we'll just get behind this guy. Since you had such a reaction against him, black folks got behind him. You want to know the biggest scam you got pulled into? The biggest scam <laughs> ever perpetrated on white America. It, 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 it was stunning when it was happening. Here, I'll give you a hint. Because you're thinking, some of you are out there thinking like, what, what scam? I didn't get scammed. I'm going to give you a hint. It ran, for, it ran for eight years. Ongoing scam, eight years. It ran from 2008 to 2016. Ah, uh, you got it, yep. 
Barack Hussein Obama. See, you thought you were getting absolution because you voted for the first black president. Uh, actually, you voted for the first half-white, half-Kenyan, Indonesian-raised president. <laughs> oh, man. I can laugh now because he's out of office. Uh, you don't know an American black when you see one? Now, come on, y'all. You don't have in your scope of understanding what black Americans are or who black Americans are, right? If you're going to be a black American, you have some, mostly, mostly, not in every single case, but really one of the characteristics is you have some touchstone to slavery. I was showing my daughters a picture last night of my great-grandfather. He lived into my teens. He lived until about 14, 13 years before my first daughter was born. His dad was a slave. Yeah, I knew somebody into my teenage years who was raised by a slave. And I know some of you like to go, oh, slavery was a long time ago, get over it. Okay, well, keep saying that. There was a man whose lap I sat in and watched boxing matches when I was a very small boy who had been held himself by a slave. All right, well, not all of us were slaves. Not all of us are descendants of slaves. There's, there's some of us that, you know, were in the North, ran off to Canada or whatever, fought for the crown, never were slaves, no problem. But they still have a touchstone, touch, touchstone with America in terms of Jim, uh, segregation, you know, de facto Jim Crow, right? If not de jure Jim Crow. Right? That's who we are. We're here. We're, you know, we were born here, raised here. Speak English. Play baseball. Not soccer. Eat hot dogs. Apple pie. Don't know any other language but this one. Haven't lived or been raised in any other country but this one. Practicing Christians. Sometimes practicing Christians. <laughs> Giving verbal assent to Christianity like everybody else, right? fighting all the wars that's us and you don't know us it bothers us you were probably unaware of the resentment that exists in I would say upper class black uh, communities when the elite universities give out spots to Africans and West Indians in the name of affirmative action programs meant to benefit blacks. So they're filling the, you know, they're checking the box because they gave a spot to Harvard to somebody from Nigeria or, or the Bahamas. You can feel however you want about affirmative action. I'm not here to talk about it. But the program, the genesis, if you take the, the proponents of it at their highest and best word and their, their best intention, it was to help black Americans it was help level the playing fields, help black Americans get to a place where we could compete in society, right? And then those spots were given to Africans of all people, the people who sold us over here, and to Jamaicans and people from Bahamas and from Trinidad and Tobago, 
Really? And you couldn't tell the difference? It didn't matter to you because black is black. Well, they're darker than me. So whatever. Let's move on. This is what it's like. There's a popular meme on the internet where there's a guy, he's walking down the street with a girlfriend or wife or whatever. They're holding hands. I think she's in a blue dress. And he's not looking at her. His head is completely turned and he's looking back in a with a very admiring look on his face, borderline lust, at this other girl who has just walked by. She's in a wet red dress, right? And they make a meme over it, right? And he's looking back at her. Well, where are the chick in the blue dress? And anybody who comes along after us is the chick in the red dress. And that's how we feel. Better or worse, we're in this together. We're married. We're joined at the hip, baby. When you brought us here, <laughs> you know, you married us. We're in the house to stay. We carry your name, literally. <laughs> A couple of things on that. So once, uh, many years ago, I was probably in my early 20s, I overheard this conversation. I can't remember if it was at a restaurant, a cafe, might have been in a bookstore or a record store. And it was uh, two white folks talking and they were <laughs> they were marveling at someone they knew, a black person they knew, the last name Washington. And for the life of them, they couldn't figure out how this black person had the last name Washington. And there's so many black people <laughs> with the last name Washington. And uh, they thought it was just the strangest thing. And they couldn't figure out. And they were saying, and they were younger. You know, they were probably my, in my age cohort. For sure they were in the early 20s. And they were, and they were saying... Is that an African name too? <laughs> That's weird that you'd bring Africans over and they had, they had these English names. And I just, I was listening to this thing. I was just eavesdropping. And I, I didn't say a word. I didn't say anything. I, I do remember this. I just remember trying to think. I was just racking my brain. Where is the nearest place I can get a copy of Roots? <laughs> I need to get these folks a copy of Roots and let them read it. And this is how, how long ago it was. Or I was thinking, you know, is Roots in, uh, on video? Is there a VHS? I could go get these people and let them watch Roots. That's one. Two. Uh, so when I lived in the South, I lived in the South on a couple of different occasions. And um, I would run into white folks with my last name. And me being me, a little bit of a troublemaker, <laughs> like to have fun that other people may not think is fun, but I would run into somebody white in Georgia or South Carolina with my same last name, and I'd say, hey, cousin, because I'd tell them what my last name was, and I'd say, hey, cousin. They did not like that. <laughs> the last time I did that was in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, uh, at a street festival, and a um, lady was buying uh, some stuff my wife had some stuff for sale and she was at her booth buying something and the white lady was there with, I think she had a friend from some other country, Europe or somewhere. And, uh, she was using her card to pay. Well, same last name as me. I did my little routine. Hey cousin, same last name. And the, the foreigner was like, wait a minute, how did that happen? <laughs> she said, in my country, if you have the same last name, you're related. Are, are you guys related? Are you really related? Boy, that white lady did not appreciate my humor. She was very, very angry, and they just walked off. Now, fortunately, my wife made the sale, 
<laughs> first, but she did not like it. And I've always been surprised by that reaction. I have never once got somebody who got a laugh out of it or a kick out of it, right? Because to me, hey, we all know how we have those names. We all know how and why there's a lot of black people who aren't very dark, have some European features. We all know how that happened, right? It's done, man. It's gone. And to me, let's laugh about it. Let's move on. We're here with each other for better or for worse. But a lot of you don't want to face it because, you, you, I don't know, you might feel it implicates you in a negative way. We'll get over that. So here's number two. Learn black history. We're Americans, so it's your history too. Educate yourselves. If all you know about black history is, is crying blacks, marching blacks, running blacks, jumping blacks, whatever, or blacks in trauma, then you know very little about our history and even less about us. And there's one James Baldwin quote I really do like, and he said, what you don't know about us, talking about white America, he says, what you don't know about us is what you don't know about yourselves. Learn some black history. Learn it. It'll help you. One thing it'll help you, it'll keep you from sounding stupid and sounding dumb in public. Uh, when Obama's um, portrait was done by Kahinde Wiley, some of y'all really made yourselves, I mean, you just were out in public speaking with such great ignorance and un unashamedly so, right? So I can only assume you, you really, really, truly didn't know it wasn't from any animosity necessarily. You just were dumb. And you were proud of how of, of your dumbness, and you were uh, advertising it to the world, and you just were mad that you know Obama had picked this Kahindi Wiley guy, who you had just heard of five minutes before, probably on talk radio, and you were very upset that he had picked Kahindi because this Kahindi Wiley guy, well, he had painted a picture of a black woman holding a white woman's head that had been decapitated. And boy, well, isn't Obama some kind of radical and he's got all these radical friends. And isn't this just a message to how he hates whites? Oh, my word. I'm reading these comments on Twitter. I'm listening to people make these comments and I'm going, okay, number one, you never heard of Perseus. And you never heard of Medusa. You don't know anything about Caravaggio or any of his paintings. You don't know anything about contemporary black America, that Kahinde Wiley is a world famous artist. You don't know that black, you don't know that Kahinde Wiley actually quit a prestigious art school because he felt like they were just putting him in the box and saying he had to be black. He reacted against that and left art school. How much more American can you get where the guy said, don't identify me by my race. Let me work on my talent, my God given ability. Let me exercise that. Quit trying to make me a black artist. Let me be an artist. That's admirable. But you didn't know that. You just saw a black woman standing with a white woman's head, you know, in her hands, and you lost your mind. So you don't know anything about contemporary black America. And you don't know anything about Western history in general. Read some Greek mythology. Read about Medusa. Read about Perseus. Go look some Caravaggio paintings.
learn some stuff. But I'm telling you, number two, learn black history because it's American history. And if it's American history, then it's part of the Western canon and will help you in your life overall. And it'll help you understand and relate to black people today. Black history is instructive for how to live and thrive without access to power. Some of y'all need to be thinking about that right now because you're losing all the access you had to power. You've already lost it. You didn't know it, but recent events are showing you. You should study some black history. It's instructive. You'll learn when you can work inside a dominant institution and when you can't and you need to form your own. We devoted an entire episode on the Black History Fashion Show podcast to the Negro Leagues and Rube Foster. Did you listen to it? Did you pick up the book? Did you pick up any books? That dude started a baseball league. Kyrie Irving is whining and crying right now. That guy's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire professional basketball player. And he's talking about, let's start our own basketball league. Can't even do it. Rube Foster, man, dropped out of Jim Crow, Texas school in third grade and started a, a national league learn about that dude how do you do that he is worth learning about these things are worth learning about you'll learn when it's time to stand up and fight you'll learn how to do it I did half an episode on Irene Foster and the fight to desegregate public accommodations I'm going to guarantee none of you had heard of Irene Foster until that podcast, if you listen to it. And the ones that haven't, you still don't know who I'm talking about. And Lord willing, we will get to many more people, many more places and things. The Black History Fashion Show is the best podcast in America. I know this. You know, <laughs> no, look. You can learn black history on your own outside of this podcast. The Buffalo Soldier Museum in Houston the National Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, the Studio Museum in Harlem. Read some Langston Hughes or some Du Bois or some Douglas. If your town is big enough, there's a chance that there's a black theater group in your town. Go see some black theater. Go volunteer at it. How about that? I know there's one in Minneapolis and I know there's one in Fort Worth, just to name two of the last cities I've lived in. And you don't have to go way back. You know, to find something in black history. Have some fun with it. Look for us in places you don't think we exist. Like the art world. Alright, come back and give you the last two things and we'll wrap up. Alright, we're back on the Black History Fashion Show talking about what you can do. Answering your question of like, what can I do? Lester, what can I do? All right, I told you you need to listen. I need, you need to ask. Don't tell, right? And I told you you need to learn some black history. Well, you're in the right spot for that. So, so far, you're doing pretty well. Here's number three. Don't rely on legacy black institutions. The NAACP, the Urban League, the black church, gone for good. Sorry to tell you. Some of you romanticize those institutions. Don't stop. They've been bought out by the left. They've been incinerated by ideology. They did some fantastic, wonderful, great, outstanding things in the past. 
they don't belong to the black community anymore. So if you think you're going to learn about black folks by going to an Urban League meeting or NAACP meeting, just save your time and go to find the, the local Democratic Party uh, 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 meeting or, or club and just go there. Avoid any group or process that makes you ashamed to be white, that makes you apologize for who God made you to be, that in any way makes it seem being white is inherently a problem. Avoid that. Do not do that. You want to know what you can do? Well, I'm, I'm telling you what not to do right now. I gave you two things to do. Here's something that you should not absolute, should absolutely not do. Don't do it. If you're kneeling and groveling, we aren't impressed. We're disgusted. And we're for sure laughing at you after you're gone. Don't do it. Don't associate with anybody's going to make you feel like how you were born intrinsically makes you less than me. Please don't don't do that. I we've lived on the other side of that and it's nothing good. Don't put yourself in that position. Don't let people put you in that position. I would point you to the people trying uh trying to clean up behind the drug and jail trade. There are People in black communities trying to help people through their addictions, trying to help ex-offenders find jobs and housing and transportation to the jobs. There are people trying to help blacks get GEDs, learn how to read. There are black people out there trying to help these young men, you know, you know, trying to stop the violence from the young men in their, in their neighborhoods, trying to get people to take care of their children, trying to help people, these young women, to take care of their babies. You don't know who they are. You don't know where to find them. They're overlooked all the time. So I'll point you in a direction. Because I just told you, here's a don't don't rely on legacy black institutions. So I'm going to give you, inside that don't, I'll give you a do. I would start with the Woodson Center. It's in Washington, D.C. But they reach into black and poor neighborhoods all over the country. Maybe even into your city or county. I worked there many, many years ago in a limited capacity when it was called the National Center for Neighborhood Enterprise. Good people. <laughs> the best people, honestly. They help the helpers. They help the helpers. That's the easiest and simplest way I can tell you. I'd go to their website and look for anything that they're doing that I could get involved with, and it may lead you to other groups and other places closer to you. But do not rely on legacy black institutions. They're defaming their legacies, honestly. So there's plenty of there's plenty of black people right now doing things that you can get involved with, and you'll see what's really going on because really the divide the greatest divide in America is not white and black. The greatest divide in America is between blacks like myself, middle class, upper class, educated, white collar black folks, and lower class blacks. It's a huge divide. Economically, it's a huge divide socially. And I, I mention it sometimes, and maybe I'll come back and talk about it more in depth later. But I can tell you, and I've told many people this, you as a white person are going to be more welcome in many of these neighborhoods than I would be. And to keep it quick, it's, I left. I was there and I left. People hold that against you. You've never been there. <laughs> so you got a clean shit, clean slate. I mean, that's a simple, that's a simplification of it. But I'm just doing that for time. 
Look for a group like that. Look for the Woodson Center. Local people ask for help all the time. Like, uh, you know, this this what about Chicago trope? Anytime black issues are dis discussed, well, what about Chicago? And then somebody will pull out how many black people got shot in Chicago over the weekend, right? It makes black people cross-eyed in annoyance. Black people are concerned about who's been shot in Chicago. Local people in Chicago have been marching about it all the time. Not just Chicago, Flint, Baltimore. 2016, black people shut down the freeways of Chicago. Marching about this problem, asking for help, asking for leaders to lead, people to do something, people to come and help them. Marching against their Democratic mayor, Rahm Emanuel. And guess what? The GOP and conservative organizations didn't bother to show up, didn't bother to even follow up. So some of these people, like I said before, that you think are these, ooh, these black voices, well, they're really great. And this Candace Owens. <laughs> they, uh, they don't show up in black communities. There are people there that are suffering, going through hell, asking for help, doing what they can with their limited resources. They need your cash. They need your time. They need your brain power. They need new ideas. They need what you would bring with you, the influence and the circles you would bring with you. Go and do that. A cynical person, I said a cynical person, not, not me, but a cynical person, might conclude that lots of blacks being shot every weekend in Chicago or Baltimore or Oakland or Minneapolis or wherever is a problem some groups want to keep alive. So they have something to hold over their opponents. But that's a cynical thought. I'm not a cynical person. I'm trying to give you something that maybe you can do. Number four, the last one. This one is hard to label. Um, I hate the word sensitivity. Uh, maybe we can call it uh, practicing racial vigilance. Number four, you can practice racial vigilance. How about that? Uh, what do I mean? Okay, so I'll give you an example from my life. There are people that uh, I'm related to that are racist and I kept my children away from them and if they were on my wife's side of the family I would tell my wife I said we're going to go to this outing this event and those people are there I'm going to remove the girls from it or I'm going to step to these people when they started saying racial things and we're going to have it out I would warn her about that before we got there so she could just plan for the embarrassment beforehand just kept my kids out of that didn't want to hear it and I told people I didn't want to hear it so that's racial, that's one example, racial vigilance. Uh, another, I would tell you, another experience I had after Dylan Roof killed all those black people in the church, 2015, the very next day, I'm dropping my kids off. At this point, they're volunteering to help at our church's uh, vacation Bible school. And at the time, we were going to a white church. There might have been us and maybe another black family there, right? hundreds of people attend this church and we go there my kids they want to help they want to be involved in the vacation bible school okay i'm dropping them off who do i see walking into the church smirking at me walking into the building this white lady wearing a confederate flag on her hat and she was doing it she just was just flagrant about it and looked and saw us and gave gave the biggest smirk what was I going to say? Nothing. I'm so mad. So mad. 
I didn't say anything to my kids. I didn't want to transfer it to them. They were blind to it. I didn't want, and I didn't want to pull them away from something that they enjoyed doing. They thought it was a, a service to the church, service to God's people. I didn't want to take that away from them. I go into the church. I'm looking around. She's in there. She's dropping her kids off, right? Some one of her kids probably would have, was in, you know, some uh, activity led by one of my kids. She's there walking around, bold as brass, as they say. And what I'm waiting for, what I am waiting for, what I am waiting for, is someone from my church, someone from my church family, to say to this woman, "Take that off." You can wear that at home. You maybe have all the pride of Dixie in it. Today certainly is not the day to wear wear this. We don't want you wearing this in our church. We have people here from all races, from the neighborhood. They don't want to see this. We have members here who don't want to see this. We have members serving here. Remove that hat, ma'am. No one did. And I really wasn't going to point it out because I wasn't going to be the angry black guy. So you just live with it. It would have been nice, <laughs> to say the least, if somebody had practiced some racial vigilance and said, you know what, we really don't need this person bouncing around our church this morning wearing this. But you didn't see it. And if you saw it, it didn't register. And it didn't register because you don't think of us. We don't think of us as your fellow citizen in this country. I hate to say it like that, but that's the way it comes out. That's the way we experience it. Uh, another example, more humorous, more uh, on the humorous side. Um, my my daughter's been traumatized. <laughs> they still talk about this. The hair machine incident. Their hair had been braided. We were at church. They had just had their hair braided, I think, the day before. And, you know, I don't know what it is about black hair. But I think I think white folks are learning. I think you're learning, like, just don't touch our hair. Just leave it alone. <laughs> but here's this guy. He could have said, hey, your hair looks nice. Left it alone. These are young girls, too. You don't really want to talk about their appearance, especially if you're an older man. Come on. He could have just said, you girls, hair looks nice and kept moving. He could have said, if he was really curious, he could have asked, you know, hey, how is that done? And maybe my wife could have told him. Maybe the girls could have told him. Moved on, right? Um, but no. <laughs> we had to get the... Uh, do you put your hair in a... No, the police aren't coming for me. Do you put your hair in a hair machine to get it like that? Oh, my gosh. So I'm going to tell you this. Um, you're really interested in black hair? Start getting your hair cut at barbershops. It's much, much, much cheaper. Much cheaper. And I know what some of you are paying. Now, if the attraction really is to go there and pay 100 bucks to get your hair cut so you can be around some scantily clad young ladies, that's a different discussion. But if you just want to get your hair cut, you can go down with the brothers cut your hair, man, for one-fifth of what y'all are paying. Or go to a lady's salon, watch some processes, learn all you want to learn. Go to some hair braiders, sit and watch. They, they might even teach you how to braid it. 
or you can just get on YouTube, right? You'll get it out of your system and we'll avoid all the little awkward interactions. Uh, I'll give you another one. I got a bunch. <laughs> I'll give you another one. So we're at same church with the Confederate flag issue. We're uh, Confederate hat issue, I should say. Uh, we're at church. Lady comes up, very excited, grabs my daughters, get like inches, like an inch or two from their face, right? You girls, guys hear those sirens? I'm telling you, Minneapolis is going to miss those sirens one day. So, um, hey, <laughs> doesn't say good morning to me, doesn't say good morning to my wife, just gets right in my girls' faces. Hey, um, there's a black guy, or, or no, she said, she said, there's a guy coming from Africa to our church tonight. You be nice to him. You talk to him. You be nice to him. And she just bails, right? Oh, she did ask the girls what their what their names were. What's your name? She asked the girls what their names were. Didn't say anything to me. Didn't say anything to my wife. Tells them that they need to be nice to this African coming to our church that evening. Okay. Now, she acted like that was the first time she had seen her girls. We've been going to that church for seven years <laughs> at that point. I knew her name. I knew her husband's name. I knew where her husband worked. I knew where they lived. I knew how many kids she had. I didn't know her kids' names, but I knew how many kids she had, and I could pick them up by sight. We all knew her. But what motivated her to finally come and talk to us, because she had never had before, was there was an African dude coming, and we needed to be nice to this African dude. Don't do that. If that's going to be your first conversation with somebody blacks to tell them about somebody from Africa coming to your church, don't do that. That's not practicing racial uh, vigilance. Um, if we're going to come visit your home, uh, this is another church we were members of in Georgia. Um, this event had been planned for a while, and it rotated houses. And here we are, members of this church, and we're going to go to someone's house for this for this event. You know, put your Confederate memorabilia in the garage. That That's practicing racial vigilance. I'm not telling you to get rid of it. Just put it in the garage. Um, give us space to call out bigots. And here I'm talking really, really, really to my Christian friends. Give us space to call out bigots in the church. I've encountered many, many in my, what, 15 years now going to white churches, especially reformed white churches, Presbyterian churches. I've encountered many, many bigots. I never call them out to the leadership, to the elders. Because I don't want to be that guy. I don't want our family to be identified that way. So we just live with it. And we really honestly don't feel that you're going to listen to us. You're not going to believe it. Because your experience with that person is different than mine. And you're not going to believe us. Give us space to call those people out. Whatever that looks like, give us space. Listen, listen, listen. Ask, listen. And here's a question I have for you guys. Does every psalm, because I'm in the OPC now. Yeah, it, it's true. I'm in the OPC now. Uh, does every psalm need to be sung to a medieval German tune? Is, is that the rule? Um, we've sang some psalms, and they're just, you know, they're psalms. They're beautiful about how glorious and great and kind God is. And the tune has been one where... You don't feel that. You feel like, yeah, here I am. I, I should put on my chain mail and go smash some Catholic soldiers over the head. What, what, what are we doing? You know, this <laughs> is so dreary, right? So we'll think of it this way. We've all had a good laugh at the uh, King James Version only, guys. We love laughing at them, right? 
the only authorized version, the King James version, the version that Paul used, right? Uh, we chuckle. Well, every tune has to be 16th century German tune. Is that the tune? Is that the tune that uh, uh, that the Jews were singing the Psalms in back in uh, King David's day? <laughs> really? You know, make a little space for us on that one. Make a little space for everybody on that one, right? So just think about these things because you know your your intentions are good. You don't want to turn away anybody. You really want everybody to hear what you think is the is the best explanation of the gospel of, of of the christian gospel right well you know you may think it's petty but it's kind of hard to bring people in that circle where it's like no yeah all of these tunes are hundreds of years old and they're all from one part of the world and that's just how we do things here and it's unexamined no there are no songwriters or tune writers uh, alive today in the 21st century. No, there, there aren't any, and there certainly aren't any black ones. No. Um, so racial vigilance. So I'm giving you a couple of things to do, a couple of things not to do. Where has it been practiced? Well, I've seen it practiced well. Uh, the other personal story, I I shared on one of my former blogs a profiling story, right? And the and what you do as a black parent with your kids about so people don't think you're shoplifting and pointing out to my kids all the different times we're getting followed around target in different places and why i would tell them like hey don't do this don't do that in a store and i shared about you know you know i i yeah i think it was one of the last times police really followed me and hassled me and so i wrote about it and i got some pushback and um from some people online you know and i'm not going to name the person but let's just say he's a huge chick-fil-a fan and he went used his social media platform and he lent me some of his credibility he's got law enforcement in his family and he said yes this thing does happen driving while black does happen racial profiling does happen and he did it without being a white knight he did it without decreasing my you know my story he did he did it without like hey i'll take over here son let me let me explain it for you he didn't do he he just lent his credibility to me and he shut down the robotic responses of blinkered people do that do that don't make don't give the biggest any space don't and avoid the awkwardness Avoid going right to the place where you really shouldn't start with someone. You know? Make it low stakes. When you, when Hey, what's your name? Hey, how are you doing? How about that? Don't don't start on people's hair. Or don't, don't start on like... Don't, don't start with me with Africa. <laughs> and you don't know my name. <laughs> so, racial vigilance. That's the best way I could, I could say it. So here... That concludes the list. Those are four things I can give you. Uh, we'll wrap it up after this break. Okay, so we're going to close today. We talked uh, about what you can do as an individual, and I hope I answered some questions for you. Some of it, you know, was being a little silly, and some of it maybe you thought was too depressing or over the top, but I really want you to consider uh, those items. I try to keep it simple. Okay. Don't tell, ask. Or ask, don't tell. However you want to remember it, right? Learn some black history. 
don't rely on legacy black institutions as your guide to learn in black America. And that's left or right, honestly. Uh, it wouldn't be institutions on the right, it would be personalities. Um, and practice racial vigilance. If you have a better term, send it to me because that's kind of awkward, but I hope my examples um, helped you in that regard. So we talked about what you can do as an individual. One day we need to get around to talking seriously about what we can do collectively. Uh, Black history is a great guide for that. And hopefully I can steer the show in that direction. I should be able to. It's my show, right? Um, but not next time. It's been so much weighing on me that I really have wanted to avoid talking about serious subjects. Um, but we do need to talk. And when I say we, I mean all of us, people who love this country, who want what's best for our fellow man, who care about our families, care about the institutions here, understand that we're not perfect, understand that we have problems, but really want to make it better. Um, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What can we do? Well, I think there's things we can do. So let, I'll use black history as our guide. So next time, maybe I'll do some frivolous sports talk. I got challenged to talk about, you know, I ran into a Chicago Bulls fan, and you know how obnoxious they are. One, in my opinion, on the last dance that Michael Jordan gave it. I might bring back some NBA stuff to talk about. I know a lot of you don't like the NBA, but I'll try to make it interesting for you. Um, and I'm certainly not going to talk about the Premier League because I know none of you watch the Premier League. Uh, my team is the champion this year, Liverpool, but I'm not going to talk about it. And or maybe we'll talk about fashion. I live with some fashionistas. Maybe I'll drag one of them on this show and we'll talk about it. But in the meantime, do some homework. Read about Reconstruction. Read about Reconstruction. <laughs> it may be a little bit more relevant to you than, uh, than you think right now. Read about the Freedmen's Bureau. Get Du Bois' book called The Philadelphia Negro. Read that. Read his great study of, of uh, black history in Philadelphia and what black people did there. Um riding the waves up and down of persecution. Read that book, baby. Uh, start, thinking, start thinking about uh, how you're going to live when or if you are pushed entirely out of the public square. I'm not saying it will happen, but it could happen. It's a possibility now. Think about how you can make allies before that happens. Think about how you can make allies to prevent it from happening. Unfortunately, we have to talk about stuff like that now. And we all need to be in this arm in arm, hand in hand, black and white together. So it's the Black History Fashion Show, y'all. It's a lot to learn from black history. A lot of it is unifying because it's the human experience. It's responding to injustice more than responding to it. It's overcoming it. It's being victorious, it's doing well, it's excelling. So it's all there for us, it's all in front of us, we can get there. So um, catch me, I'm still on Twitter for some reason. I probably should get off, I'm too, uh, you know, being angry and being on Twitter is, is not a good combination. I'm writing, I wrote something that I know none of y'all liked because I got a lot of hits where people read it and nobody said a word. So I know you didn't like it, but you can still catch me at the Domingos Valley Hospital blog, domingosvalley.blog.home. Um, and you can catch me here. 
And so until next time, later, homies. <laughs>